Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode 57 of the National Security Law Podcast, brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. Uh, I'm Bobby Chesney. I'm Steve Lodick. Bobby, what are we doing here? It is Friday afternoon. We've got to have better things. Oh, wait. There's a reason. You know what got released today? Um, the government's notice of appeal in Doe versus Mattis on the transfer ban. Oh, no. It was, mu- it was much worse than that. I saw it, I saw it today. Uh-huh. They've released all the new high school district alignments for football. Oh, UIL. Yes. That's why That's why this was the trending. Uni- the university interscholastic league. Is, is UIL trending? UIL, UIL realignment is trending on Twitter. That's awesome. That's, um, that shows you their location services are on. Indeed. Well, but it's not trending quite as much as Memo Day or Nuna's Memo. Oh, or, yeah. What's the new hashtag? I don't. I, uh, release the, I don't oh, know. How about this? Hashtag, I'm going to spell it out, M-E-H-M-O. Memo. Memo. Uh, I think that's our episode title. <laughs> Hashtag Memo. Um, so, so we thought, I think both because we actually happen to both be in the building on a Friday afternoon and because hopefully we have some listeners who might be interested in our reactions. They, they have long drives home coming up 5 right. o'clock uh, Friday. We, we better hustle. It's 420 Eastern. Rush hour traffic. Um, yeah, well, different. You know. and, and frankly, we also figured if we wait to talk about this till next Tuesday, you know, are we even all still here? Right. Who knows? What could happen to now Tuesday? I mean, besides Tuesday, we got to do our Super Bowl recap. Uh, that's um, true. Yes. All right. So, so why don't we start with? I mean, just to to catch everybody up in case you've been under a rock, um, the president, uh, or at least Don McGahn, acting as counsel of the president, um, this morning uh, officially approved the release of the memo. It was released shortly thereafter. Some somehow Bobby Fox News got excerpts of it before anybody else did. Hey, shocked. I know, right? There's shocked. gambling going on in here. Um, anyway, but so the sort of short version is we got the memo. Um, we're we're going to walk through it, but I'm really curious for your initial hot take, like quick off the cuff reaction when you first got laid eyes on the memo. What did you think? Uh, less than I thought it was going to be. Mm. I I thought it was going to have, uh, frankly, more cheap more obvious kind of cheap shots mm-hmm. perhaps more characterization it, it didn't it didn't feel actually as zinger-ish as i given <laughs> given the way it was initially touted, i was like this thing whether credible or not let's set that aside right I, um i figured it would just be full of zingers right, given all the fear on both sides i mean let's be frank yeah. i mean right both i mean i you know the yeah. the amount of hysteria that was coming from all sides on this yeah. led me to think that Accurate or not, right? Um, it was gonna be a hot dog. It was gonna be a hot dog. Yeah. Now, so it's it's not so much, but let's. So why don't we walk through what it and just describe what it says? Because yeah. I assume many many people have read it, but many won't. Let's just kind of lay it out just as is, and then we'll come back and figure out okay what was significant in there, and then we'll contextualize it and offer some thoughts about what might happen next and, and so forth. Sure. So so uh, the per- the memo starts with a purpose section. Uh, where the memo says the memorandum provides members an update on significant facts relating to the committee, this is the House Intelligence Committee's ongoing investigation into the DOJ and FBI and their use of FISA during the 2016 election cycle. Our findings, one, raise concerns with the legitimacy and legality of certain DOJ and FBI interactions with the FISC, and two, represent a troubling breakdown of legal processes established to protect the American people from abuses related to the FISA process. Are those two different things? So first of all, I'm not sure those are two different things. Second, I'm not actually sure the rest of the memo lives up to that. No, right. So right there is an accusation. They're saying uh, criminality or illegality. Uh, but it would be criminal if it was in this context, right? right. So they're accusing the Justice Department and FBI, somebody. Who of unlawfully, uh, so let's of, be clear. Of perpetrating illegal a fraud on the court. Of, and, and indeed, of unlawfully interacting with the FISA court, 
right? And that there is a breakdown of legal processes established to protect the American people from abuses related to the FISA process. So I just want to start by saying I don't think the memo actually vindicates its own charge. You know, I think it, it kind of it, it certainly tries to get in that direction. I'm not oh, sure. Of course, it, it does. But it, but it's certainly not. So when I read that, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be high. It's going to really lay into some people. And then it didn't. Um, so yeah. Right. So it and, starts wait, with. By the way, just yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. A little bit of both. Right. I mean, so 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 let me sort of uh, so let me spoil the punchline a bit. Right. I have I have two very different reactions to the memo. Okay. Um, law professor Steve right looks at the memo and says that guy's great. Uh, it's right, you know, he's, he has some principles. <laughs> it's that, all right. right. So, so law professor Steve looks at it and says, "What the hell was that? Like, you know, why did we do all of this damage to all these institutions to get this little, you know, pissant memo?" Um, you know, political hat Steve says, "You know, wow, there's nothing here." And so you're you're happy as a citizen, relatively speaking, and. And just as an academic observer saying like, oh, wait a minute, we got us all spun up. Wait, why, what, what was the purpose of this exercise if this is all we're getting? So, sorry, so let's, let's keep going okay. through the memo. So the next heading is investigation update. So the first paragraph is about the underlying FISA probable cause order. Parenthetical, not under Title Seven. Yes, which, which by the way, which I appreciate that. That's responsible. It's a, it's a brilliant reference, right? Saying this has nothing to do with Section Seven Hundred Two, and therefore nothing to do with the ongoing FISA reauthorization campaign. Absolutely. Well, yeah. By then uh, concluded, I guess this is January eighteenth. Uh, yeah, but the president missed that memo. Yeah. Um, well, so just for context for listeners um, who aren't steeped in this stuff, so what, what you're supposed to understand, and this is obviously true, um, the event that they're unearthing here is the original decision by the FBI to go to DOJ and say, we'd like to surveil the electronic communications of Carter Page. We think he's an agent of a Russian power. Uh, and so we want to, and we're collecting for foreign intelligence purposes, not not necessarily for criminal law enforcement purposes, but as a foreign intelligence matter. And of course, in the abstract, if, if that's indeed the this, this, circumstances, that's their job. It's exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And the way it works is you go to the National Security Division. And if you've made the right, if you've got the right paper trail to document your eligibility for this order, and they believe that, then they'll put the paperwork together. They'll take it to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. A federal court judge and a full life tenured Article Three judge who also has this appointment as a FISA court judge looks over the application and decides whether they believe the government has shown probable cause to believe that Carter Page is acting uh, functionally, at least, as an agent of the Russian government in this context. So that's that's October 21st, 2016. An application was made, and I think that's clearly established. Well, let's try to spot like what's contested and what's not. Everyone they, agrees there was an application for a FISA And then it was granted, and so some federal judge in the FISA capacity said, yeah, that looks like probable cause to me, which means they read through a packet of, there will be an FBI agent's affidavit swearing the following things to be true or believed, and, and then will contain all the exhibits, you know, here's all the supporting documentation. And Steve, I think it's fair to say that the thrust of the Nunes memo, or I, we should say his staff's, the staff memo written for him and promoted <laughs> by him, um, is to say that, aha, that affidavit that got them the original order was uh, in some way centrally involved with the Steele dossier. And we think that there was an omission, a critical omission. The FBI failed to tell the FISA court right. uh, a reason to question its veracity 
bound up in the idea that the DNC paid for this as opposition research, and that was withheld from the FISA court, which may be true. I mean, we we, have we, don't we still don't know. No one knows. But let's assume it's true that, in fact, nowhere in the application does it say, by the way, the provenance, the reason Steele generated this was because he was hired by Fusion GPS, which was being paid by this law firm, which had the client, the DNC. Let's assume that wasn't disclosed. Right. That's kind of the, to me, the the big thing that they're touting here. And and here's, just, I want to be as crystal clear as possible, for this to actually therefore be a scandal of anywhere near the proportions that folks have been screaming about for the last two weeks, Bobby, that would not only have to be true, but it would have to be the case that but for all of that, the FISA warrant would not have been issued and nothing else subsequent in the investigation could have gone forward, right? That the whole idea is that the original sin taints the entire right. subsequent investigation. The whole thing's a poisonous tree. So I think that that's mostly true, but there's a, there's a qualification and kind of the irony in all this is that the uh, this effort, which is, I think you and I agree, is transparently political. Uh, this effort is pointing towards something that's actually probably a really serious issue to consider in the abstract, um, whether it fits here or not, we don't have enough information still to say. And that's the question of um, how good is the FBI and DOJ? How, how thorough and, and how good faith are they disclosing exculpatory and impeachment type evidence when in the ex parte in-camera setting? That is to say, my friends, it's in chambers and it's just the government. There right. is no opposing party, et cetera. Um, in that setting, are, how diligent are they about telling the court, oh, by the way, you know, this this affiant or this source that we're citing, here are the reasons why they might be biased or here are the reasons to doubt the credibility. This is a really familiar issue from ordinary criminal law. This is bread and butter well, criminal search warrant stuff. And, and, and Orrin Kerr has a really fantastic, I think, post on lawfare. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's literally wor- worthy of the phrase, must read. Yes. Um, that basically explains that even if you accept the premise, and let's again be clear, it's, you know, there are reasons to just to not yeah, accept we'll the premise. Yeah, we'll get to that. But, we're just... but even if you accept the premise that the Steele dossier was knowingly introduced without its provenance being underscored, right? right? And even if you accept that the Steele dossier was the principal primary mover in obtaining the FISA warrant, Oren points out that under existing Fourth Amendment case law, it's still not clear that the warrant is invalid. Right, that's right. So there's this... And, and I think in fairness to the non-experts, that, that's perhaps surprising to hear that. Fair. Listen, I, again, I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have a national conversation about just how low the burden tends to be on the government in this context <laughs> right. and just how much opportunity for mischief there is. The point is that the aspersions being cast on the Obama DOJ and Obama FBI for somehow doing novel things, I think is just belied by Oren's post in a way that is just overwhelming. Oren's post is must read if you want to understand how this would normally be dealt with in a criminal case. And then the question is, all right, so, you know, any reason to think it'd be different in the FISA context? It's the same legal question. Okay. So, so where do we go from here? So then, right, the dossier, uh, sorry, the memo, right, goes on to basically lay out the background of the statute, Right, it describes the FISA process, and mostly, I think, Bobby, on objectionable ways. Mm-hmm. But then it starts making a series of assertions, um, and there are two things that are worth stressing about the assertions. First, these are assertions that we have no idea if they're accurate reflections of what the underlying FISA application says. Stronger than that, the Adam Schiff right. has represented. He's not yet free to say what his basis for this is, but he has repeatedly now said, including today, said these are not accurate. That, that these are either full of material omissions 
or are at least contestable characterizations of the underlying classified information, still classified right. information as to what actually was in. So this I want I want I want to actually highlight that with an example. So here's one example in number number point two. You see where I am? The Carter Page FISA application? Yes. Okay. So number point two, the Carter Page FISA application also cited extensively a September 23rd, 2016 Yahoo News article by Mike Isakoff, which focuses on Page's July 2016 trip to Moscow. The next sentence is very important. And this, it's underlined. This article does not corroborate the Steele dossier because it is derived from information leaked by Steele himself to Yahoo News. Um, that's fine, right? But uh, Adam Schiff actually has publicly said this is one of the serious mischaracterizations in the memo, hmm. that the Yahoo News article was not actually used to corroborate the Steele dossier. Um, and David Chris has said it was much more likely that they would include an article to show that the investigation had become public and that the target, therefore, might take steps to destroy evidence or cover his tracks. In other words, the, the, the highlighted sentence is a non sequitur. So let me see if I can capture what's going on here. The, the, and the way you're supposed to understand this is the memo is trying to characterize to the public and to the president and everyone else um, what the FISA, the original application looked like. Mm -hmm. And it, it's making, it's painting a picture where what happened was FBI came into court and said, here's the Steele dossier. Here's well, an Isakoff article. And, he, and, and, and then not only is there that, right. there's more. There's right. a Yahoo News article from Mike Isakoff. And, and then it kind of stops there with the implication that and that must be it. But of course, it never says, and indeed probably can't say because it wouldn't be true, that there's nothing else. No, it just says, it just has a sentence that, this, that the Isakoff article doesn't corroborate the Steele dossier. Right. And, you're, and you're saying like, well, so it wasn't supposed what? to. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that, that, I mean, you know, you know what else doesn't corroborate the Steele dossier? The Zapruder film. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, you know. Well, it, it's a little more fair than that because, I mean, it's in the mix. But they're trying, they're trying to make it sound like. Look, we accounted for more than this enables them to say that we acknowledge there's more than just the Steele dossier in the underlying application. Why there was also this somewhat irrelevant Yahoo News article. Okay, fine. What what the public would need to know in order to know whether the probable cause finding was legitimate in the first instance. And by the way, does anyone really think that somehow or other Carter Page was in fact like this randomly wrongly right, accused right, person. Right, set, that, right. set that aside. I'm getting distracted. Um, it, it, Go spot your plot hole somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. So, bottom line, what have we got so far? We've got the I think a in the abstract fair question about how careful was FBI in yeah. disclosing what they knew about the provenance of, of the dossier, and then you try to they try to jump from that to suggest that therefore probable cause probably didn't probably didn't exist here. Um, I think the thing that we will eventually see, and it seems crystal clear to me that it's only a matter of time now before the dissenting view comes out, whether it's in the form of Schiff's memo or if the Senate Select Committee gets in on this or if the IG of the Justice Department gets in on it, sooner or later we will hear more of the story. I guarantee you we're going to learn that whatever role the Steele dossier played was by no means the only primary source of evidence supporting the probable cause claims against Carter Page. In fact, there's plenty of reason to believe. I think the, the best evidence is Adam Schiff's most recent statement where he does, he's not free yet to say what he knows, but he says, look, there's, there's, there's lots of stuff here. There's stuff coming. So we're going to find out that the dossier may be – didn't get introduced with the right provenance. And I actually think that's a really interesting, important issue. And it may, let's put the best case on it 
for, for Listen, Nunez. The best, the best possible case here. Right? There was an un, perhaps failure of ethics and yep. failure of, of full disclosure yep. on the provenance of the Steele dossier. Yep. But that doesn't get you to, therefore, the FISA court's order would never have otherwise been granted. Well, not only that. So I, I actually think the memo provides the noose to hang itself on this point, right? So Would you say it's hoisted on its own petard? I might even say it's hoisted on its own petard. <laughs> um, so if we flip ahead to, to bullet point or number point five, right? So number point five says the page FISA application also mentions information regarding fellow Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos, but there is no evidence of any cooperation or conspiracy between Page and Papadopoulos. So first, there, there are two things I want to sort of say about this. The first is, um, Adam Schiff's already said this publicly, um, right, that this the, the statement there's no evidence of any cooperation or conspiracy um, mischaracterizes the context in which the application discussed Papadopoulos, right? The point was not that that proved that Carter Page was a nation of foreign power. The point was that Papadopoulos's Michigas um, was proof of the larger concerns about Russian interference that had prompted the underlying counterintelligence investigation in the first place. Right. So the idea is, look, these investigations aren't little atomized investigations. There's an overarching concern, and thank God, about Russian uh, a larger Russian effort to exercise improper influence on the campaigns, to undermine the election, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Papadopoulos was clearly and has pled guilty to to the the consequences of it. Clearly, an object of those efforts, and they were linking that to what seemed to be going on in terms of Russian efforts to do the same with Carter Page. So, what else is in those points well, so, we so, skipped so, over? So, so, I just want to, can I say one more thing before we go, oh, before yeah, we leave? Yeah. So, but the other thing about so so keep reading from bold point five, the second paragraph, the Papadopoulos information triggered the opening of an FBI counterintelligence investigation in late July 2016. I want to, like, so let me just stop there, right? There was an FBI counterintelligence investigation that had been opened in July 2016 mm -hmm. that had been going on for three months by the time the FBI goes to the FISA court to get a warrant against Carter Page, right? The, the, the memo is all but conceding Right, that the government was already in the midst of an investigation that surely was uncovering additional pieces of evidence. Well, so I, I think it's very well established that by summer, and I you know Comey testified about this. It's clear there was a general investigation of uh, counterintelligence investigation about Russian intervention in the election by summertime. Um, I'm not sure that you know that speaks to the question of whether how strong the evidence was to whether they'd gotten a probable cause about Carter Page by then. No, no. The point is that Carter Page wasn't the Carter Page wasn't the zero patient. Oh, clearly. That's all I'm trying right. to say, right? Yeah, no, and so, right. And so if, if there was any thought that the memo was going to try to arrest that narrative. Oh, I see what you're saying. So insofar as this sort of the pro-Trump narrative is, look, none of this Russia story would even be there except for the dossier. No, the, 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 memo's the, Nunez, the Nunez memo true. is a helpful data point in underscoring something that was already in the public record, but it's easily overlooked. Let's repeat it. By summer 2016, for other reasons, mm -hmm. FBI was already conducting an F a counterintelligence investigation involving Russian interference, an investigation that would come to include Carter Page but didn't start with him. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, now what about this business? Uh, rolling back here, uh, Bruce Orr, de then Associate Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr. I'm, I'm reading now from uh, part number three of the Nunes memo. Um, 
Uh, he was a senior DOJ official who worked closely with Deputy Attorney General Yates and later Rosenstein. Uh, shortly after the election, the FBI began interviewing or documenting his communication with Steele. Goes on and on. And and then there's this little nugget in subpart A that says, oh, by the way, Orr's wife worked for Fusion GPS and was involved in the oppo research on Trump. Um, and then there's this suggestion basically that there's this senior involved uh, F, uh, DOJ official who basically should have been recused. Right. Now, this sounds like something that's worth exploring, at least. That sounds like the sort of thing one could legitimately and reasonably want to know about. Wait a minute. His his own spouse was involved in the oppo research. Now he's involved in, in the FISA application process. Um, is it possible that there's something there? Or is this something also that might actually be a mischaracterization of the record? What are we supposed to make of the the uh, the Orr family and their role? In I, just, I just, I mean, so so that discussion and the discussion of you know Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, um, who by the way is referred to as his as a mistress, which I mean, come on, really, yeah, that's people? that's that's gross, right? Um, like there's. This all seems Bobby. So, so listen. I, I don't know about the bias allegations, but this all seems like it's irrelevant to the point at hand, right? Which is the the underlying question. Presumably, the whole purpose of this entire enterprise is to call into question the actual FISA warrant and thereby the Mueller investigation. And I just don't see how you get yeah, from no, A to B. Uh, obviously, I agree with that. But what I want what I'm interested in doing, I think the most important service people can render when they really dig into it like this yeah. is to try to spot like 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 any good um, narrative scam, yeah. which is basically what this is, there there are kernels of real concern, but then they get overbuilt and overclaimed. Yeah. And so I want to really kind of tear, tear down into the things that maybe actually are real concern. So one is maybe FBI knew more about the provenance of the, the dossier and didn't disclose it. And and that that is at least a slap on the wrist worthy thing. So, so should we have so should we have more amicus participation in FISA warrants? Well, so that's so that that's where I'm getting like so right. maybe maybe one of the consequences in these people are committing themselves at Hipsy to the proposition that there sh- that there needs to be more process and more adversariality, which is I don't think what they're really trying to get to. Um, so I think that's one little nugget that should be identified and acknowledged for what it's worth, but then left only for what it's worth. Right. Now, this this business about or again, in part 3A, here's the, the very strangely uh, phrased kind of punchline sentence. Or remember that they just claim that this is a, this is a DOJ official who's involved in the investigation, but his wife is working for Fusion GPS allegedly involved in developing Trump oppo research. It says, or later provided, and they say later, they don't say when, or later provided the FBI with all of his wife's opposition research paid for by the DNC, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that this relationship, the ORS collective relationship with Fusion GPS was inexplicably concealed from the FISC. So I think that it's interesting that they're not more precise in saying what they're accusing this this person uh of having done. Um, Bruce Orr is, is said to have at some point given his wife's fusion GPS work to the FBI. Was that after the fact at right. some point when this was going on? Was this before they ever went to the FISA court? I feel like if it was, if the particulars were damning, we'd have been given the particulars right. and then some. So I would imagine that when the, the full counter story comes out here, uh, Bruce Orr and his wife are not going to look as bad as it's made to look here. That said, you know, right at the moment, that looks like something kind of odd. That it looks like a situation where somebody probably was conflicted out, or should have been conflicted out of involvement, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's a little kernel like that that enables a memo like this to begin to gather steam. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just, but the question is, are there enough current? You know, is are are is the whole lesser than the sum of its parts? Oh yeah, clearly no. no the, the, my whole point, 
my whole point is to try to be is like is bend over backwards right. to be fair to this thing. So, right. And I and I can extract those two things as interesting. Yep. I would want to know more. I agree and worth conversations. And so yeah. where is Devin Nunes arguing for reform of the five warrant <laughs> yeah. process? Yeah, yeah, conspicuously right? absent. And where right. is a request for an inspector general investigation, right, into the named right. individuals, right? And so it seems to me that if those are the gripes, this ain't the complaint, right? Right. Well, and look, we all understand what's going on here. Of course. It's well, not, it's, it's, do, do we all understand what's going on here? I mean, that's... you and I understand what's going on here. I suspect most of our listeners understand what's going on here. Yeah. So, so, so this leads to. So, I want to ask like a couple of bigger picture questions. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm I'm closing my copy of the memo, okay. putting my phone down. So why? I mean, like, like if this is all there was, right? So, so you know, I had, I had been, as folks who have listened to the last two episodes of this podcast know, right? I had been sort of laboring under the apprehension that there was going to be something much more salacious in yeah, here. Yeah, me too. And that we were going to have a huge national scandal where it was turned into a he said he said credibility mess. Um, right. I, whatever else people find in the memo today. It, that ain't it, right? Yeah, it's really, it's it's really thin. Soup. we we open with this that that there's. No, I mean, yeah, there's some more paragraphs in this thing, but I think we've just identified the two uh, most you know worthy things they've got, and the rest of it's just sort of narrative and characterization. Um, I thought there was going to be more, but but step back, you know. So you were making the point to me a moment ago that you know you and I understand what's going on here, or we think we do, we think our listeners do. We have a certain belief about it. Um, this whole thing is all part of the great game of narrative formation and moving the sort of steering the battleships in one degree off to port, one degree off the other way. Um, and I think that most of the work to be done, that the, the group of folks who sort of orchestrated this whole hashtag campaign yeah. was accomplished within the first 12 hours. When that night, when they started hashtagging and a couple of representatives started saying, it's worse than Watergate, right. it's the most awful thing ever. But FBI. then why release the thing? Well, they have to, right? So at a certain Did point, they? they're... they're yeah, it gets complicated, but it's mean, certain... like, it, this me, only works. It, let, only, me fin- yeah. let me finish the thought. Sorry. So the idea is there's a lot of different actors with overlapping but probably somewhat distinct agendas and so forth. You get a bunch of people who accomplish most of what they're trying to accomplish by by way of impacting these giant behemoth narratives that are out there. They got it by launching the release of the memo campaign, right? They, they got most of the, the, their blows in then. Everything else that came afterwards, if it turns out to have some legs, that's gravy. But most of the narrative impact is already done. Now, as, as you say a moment ago, like, well, wait, wouldn't they be better off if they just like kept it all under wraps and stuff? Well, the nature of what they were doing, which included trying to score points by putting the FBI and DOJ in the position of like, you don't right. want this out. Uh, it kind of committed them to pushing for release and it involves the White House. It becomes part of the national dialogue to an extent where it certainly wouldn't be easy to somehow find a way to back off on the pressure to release it. Yeah, and well, and I mean, also the, there's an element of maybe incompetence in managing the narrative, right? Yeah, although I mean, that's what, what I was going to say was the White House still could, I mean, so here's what could have happened is the White House could have objected Right. In order to sort of at least look like it was protecting yeah. the FBI and DOJ. Yeah. And then the House under Section 11G could have voted to release it anyway. And it seems to me that at that point, everyone's accounted for. That assumes a much more competent and, and, and sort of thoughtful process than, right. than was taking place. But all I'm saying is, like, unless your goal was to provide fodder to an ever thinning slice of your base. Right. Like, I just. I, I, OK, so that's the first thing. Um, thing two 
if there really is, it seems clear to me at least, although what do I know, that there's no direct line from the memo to firing Rosenstein, right? That if the right. goal was... But you know, it's funny, like that story has been pre-planted. I've talked to, as you have, I've talked to a lot of reporters today. And one thing I'm hearing yeah. is everyone's been getting hit with all these pre-canned stories. Like, hey... There's apparently an attack ad already online. No, right. So this, you know, and it's all, again, it's all part of the orchestration of this, but it's not one masterful orchestration. It's a whole bunch of people with varying degrees of incompetence trying to drive narratives. But it also strikes me, though, that the memo, I suppose... So think about the Senate Republicans. We talked about this on our podcast. And by the way, I think my predictions on that... Have have turned out very well. And so if the Senate Republicans are the relevant audience, right, because presumably they're the ones who can cause real mischief, yeah. If people start getting fired. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I don't know how Richard Burr, senator from North Carolina, yes, chair of the absolutely. Senate Intelligence Committee, looks at this memo and says, I see here grounds to fire Rod Rosenstein. No way. No. And, and indeed, th- let's be real clear about this because we didn't talk about this in our description of the memo. So Rod's name comes up along the litany of deputy attorney generals who've been involved in the, re- the sequential renewals of the surveillance order on Carter Page. And so he's mentioned as having been in that chain. Um, when someone asked me earlier today, they're like, so is this, you know, does this lead to right. firing of uh, Rod Rosenstein? I thought, like, what are we talking about? How, there, there's, there's almost no connection to him. You can read between the lines and try to infer things. But, but the, the irony is this might actually make it harder to find, at least in principle. Now, you know, politics in principle, they don't always sure. line up. No, but basically I think that the de- nothing in the details of the memo itself actually further any case the White House might want there to be for firing him, which is not to say that that's how – that's not necessarily the measure. As you said a yep. moment ago, the narratives that are out there, these tidal forces that are swishing around in Twitter space and other places – um, I have no doubt that there's been an upsurge just because the memo's out. Like, therefore, now more people can talk about. And so, maybe it. by the time we sit down to record our next episode, Rosenstein will be out. Yeah. So, but I don't think so. I don't. I don't think that that's going to go anywhere. In part because it opens up the huge can of worms of what are they going to get, right? right? So, as compared to what you get him out of there. Um, you've heard me say before, they're not going to get some sort of more pliant instrument if they get Rachel Brandon Unless there. they use the vacancies reform right. process. And then, and then they have to have this reason to believe they're going to manage that and end up with a person who's empowered enough to do this. And, right, not cause a huge rift with the Senate Republicans. Exactly. And so right. I think I think that it it would have they probably would have loved it if it had turned out that way, but it ain't turning out that way. And that's, and so, which I think, right, the, so the most important takeaway here, right, might be that, that this, doesn't, this doesn't get us there, right? I, it probably, this, this shouldn't be and probably won't be enough to move public narratives about the deputy attorney general in order to create enough political space vis-a-vis the Senate right. Republicans right. to remove him. All right. So then this leads me to at least the last thing I was wanted to talk about, although perhaps there are other things that, that you want to raise. No, I'm more um, than done. So I wrote, a, I wrote one of the more controversial things I've written in a long time, I think, earlier today for NBC News' online web platform, um, arguing, uh, arguing that it is my belief that Chris Ray, the FBI director, should resign. Um, now let me sort of let me flesh it out before you yeah, yeah, before I'm, I'm, before I'm, you do what everybody else has done, which is jump down my throat for being an idiot. Um, so here's 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 the case for resignation. Um, the whole sort of enterprise here, right, was to do two different things. It was to create a sort of enough you know of a fig leaf to get Rosenstein out of the way, right, and presumably you know try to alter the shape of the Mueller investigation. And it was to demean and delegitimize, right, the FBI so that insofar as the FBI is involved in the Mueller investigation, part and parcel of the Mueller investigation is, you know, Mueller himself is former director of the FBI. It's all part of this broader credibility morass, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it's possible to look at the actual release of the memo and conclude that it failed, right? That, that per what we just said, Rosenstein's not going to be fired, or at least we don't see the, the hook for firing Rosenstein. Um, and that, in fact, what's going to come out here is, you know, maybe we have to revisit FBI practices macroscopically, Right, but this is not like the insidious, you know, deep state conspiracy that we were led to believe. So it gives like the unmasking treatment. Exactly. Um, but at what cost? Right. I mean, so we've we've been subjected to two to three weeks of demeaning and delegitimizing the FBI as an agency. Right. Chris Ray um, vehemently objected to the release of the memo. He said that he he apparently went to Capitol Hill and made personal appeals to Nunes and other senior Republicans on the Intelligence Committee. He went to the White House, right? The Justice Department apparently objected to the memo. The White House decided to release it anyway. Um, what that says to me is Chris Ray has no authority in this administration um, and that the administration has made a public statement that it is more important to perpetuate an obviously incomplete, if not affirmatively false narrative about the FBI than to listen to the FBI. And at that point, if you're the FBI director, I don't know how in good conscience you can stay in your job without to some degree acquiescing in that narrative. So to me, it's not about resigning in personal, like, you know, I've been ordered to do something illegal and I won't do it. That's a different kettle of fish. I'm talking about resigning as a very public protest and assertion of the independence and importance of the agency you had and of the hard work of the tens of thousands of men and women who report to you. I admire your passion. I, I admire- And you completely disagree. I, from an academic perspective, I, I enjoy hearing the, 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 those thoughts, but I just couldn't disagree more. Uh-huh. Uh, so here's why. Yeah. Uh, what's his first and foremost duty? His first and foremost duty as, as with any FBI director is to uphold the law mm-hmm. and to be, to be at the end of the day, the ultimate champion that both enables and, and himself uh, con- helps constrain the, uh, the, the federal government's law enforcement apparatus. He is in a critical position. Were he to leave, what comes next? It is part and parcel of his duty if he has reason to think that his resignation might be followed by the appointment of someone who takes that duty less seriously, which I think is a very clear and obvious risk Who could be confirmed by the Senate? Who knows? There's no telling. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to roll roll the dice on that. So what I do know is that I I have a lot of faith in Chris Ray. Um, The last thing I want is for him to to make a point, take take himself out of this critical position. Um, so, and, so, and so, that, when, that so when tr- is that bullet worth firing? So that's my next point. So that would be my position. So for example, if if try, if they tried to order him to do something manifestly unconstitutional, like you said, or illegal. Um, so the fact, so the provocation here that, that would have to be worth it is the fact that he, he tried to go to the mat to stop the release of this memo, which by our own account a moment ago is kind of a meh, right. a memo. Meh-mo. Not not actually, as you know, most of the damage has already been done, I argued. It's not that impressive. Um, this is not worth it. Yeah, it's a, is it embarrassing? Does it, is, is it surprising? Not terribly. Is it actually the law demonstration he has no authority? Not in... I don't have any reason to think that because he lost on this, he can't win on other things that will matter. But what I do have reason to think is that I will trust him to try to fight those issues in a good faith, traditional American law and order uh, rights, values, et cetera, perspective. And I don't know if that would be true for whoever had the job next. So at the end of the day, I was pleased to see him belatedly strongly stand up increases my sense that he is somebody who will champion yeah. uh, the mission. Yeah. And so the last thing I want to see is for him to leave. 
Uh, there will no doubt be occasions in the year to come that will be a better hill to die on than this one. So I, so I, I take the point, right? Oh, can I add one more? Please. Also, don't, don't give the bastards the satisfaction, right? Le- getting, letting them have your scalp out of this. It, they shouldn't get anyone's scalp out of something as silly as I think, this memo. I think it depends on what the resignation letter said, right? I mean, I, you know, there are ways to deprive them of the scalp and how you write the letter. But leaving that aside, yeah. um, so the only thing I would say in response is I actually th- – so, so I, is it a fair summary of what you just said that the nothingness, the nothing burgerness of the memo only underscores why you think he shouldn't resign? Right, because you know this, he you know he's going to come out looking pretty good on right, this. So if it, so I was offering you a cost benefit analysis. I know, but I'm, at, but I'm exactly, I'm, and so and so the nothingness, the relative nothingness of the actual release of the memo, um, means that there's a lot less benefit in in catching in, you know, his turning in his cards and walking away conspicuously. Good. All right. So my response to that, and listen, I I, I, I feel like this, I just walked into a trap. <laughs> no, I knew this piece was going to be controversial. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't expect everyone to agree with me. I just want people to have this conversation. Yeah. Right. Um, my response to that is actually my personal view is that the emptiness of the memo underscores why he should resign because even though the memo doesn't do, it's not the smoking gun. It doesn't do all the things that it was promised to do. It's not the direct line to discredit the Mueller investigation. And still, the House Intelligence Committee in the White House ran, ran roughshod over the FBI and ran roughshod over decades of institutional norms. And they did it for nothing, right? And so to me, right, that actually made, made this, whole, this whole episode is made worse by the fact that all of these norms and traditions were overrun in the name of a memo that actually isn't going to do the thing that was justifying overrunning those traditions in the first place. Okay, so you you've chipped away at my it, it's not much benefit argument. Let me turn it around on the, on the on your and ask the same question back to you. Like what what would really be gained? So so there'd be a twenty four hour news cycle where people say like ah you know. Chris Ray, not going to put up with it. This underscores, and it will reinforce the narrative of those of us who are concerned with what's going on. And it will, and it will look like. And then the good day after, he's not the there people. anymore. Right, and, and and now you're moving on. Yep. I, I just, it certainly wouldn't have any sort of. I don't think it would have any kind of checking effect on on the hipsy folks okay, or but, the White House. But folks. here's the thing. So, so there's a metaphor that we use in the law all the time, right? The canary in the coal mine, right? And the. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like dead canaries everywhere. Well, but this is my already. point. No, no, but this is my but this, but this is my Just point. Another canary. So the canary in the coal mine only works, right? The theory, the canary in the coal mine, the canary is there so that you know when the canary starts stops chirping. Yeah, the canary dies first, and the people can get out. Right. Okay. Um, I am less convinced than I think you are. Right. That we're going to hear when the canary stops chirping. Right. And so it seems to me that the more sort of moments there are for folks to assert the independence of their agencies and to explain why it's important that they not be used as political pinatas and sacrificed in the name of scoring cheap, temporary and ultimately not that significant political points. Right. I actually think that that's worth it because I have less faith than I think you do. Right, that the result of this episode isn't going to be the complete emasculation of the FBI director as a oh, serious. So that's where we totally disagree. Yeah. I, I think if anything, he's he's strengthened here. Okay, um, I, I think he is he has been shown to have no ability to make the White House do something that they don't want to do, or and more to the yeah. point, to stop them from doing something they want to do. That to me was already factored into the stock price. I'm not surprised he didn't have the ability to do that here, given who we're talking about in the White House or in Hipsy. Yeah. Um, but what I do think happened is that he began to build some credibility. Remember, he's a, he's Trump's appointee. So, no, I know. So how credible was he in the building? I think he's more credible today for having tried oh, in the than bureau. he was before. No in doubt. The bureau. And I think that's where the gain is. So I actually think he's better off and a little bit stronger 
And again, I have to say, what's the alternative? There's no way it'll be as good. I'm not sure because after all, we got Ray after the last FBI director was sacked. Right, but who, who, can you really, you really think that they would nominate someone who'd be as likely to be as independent and as defensive of the FBI's uh, prerogatives in the intelligence community and the law enforcement community? I, at best, it'd be the same, right? It certainly couldn't be better. I think it would put, it certainly I, I, could be worse. I think it would put the Senate Judiciary Committee in a very pretty pickle. Right. And, you know, because you have to have another confirmation hearing and, you know, with confirmation hearings come all kinds of opportunities to. I mean, we've talked about this before. That just means in selecting somebody, there's no question at that point that Trump would try even harder to find somebody compliant. It had to be a stealth candidate, but they'd be trying. I I just think that the more that the president seems completely either intent on or at least oblivious to. Um, the destruction of institutions, the more it would be nice if one or two folks would actually publicly stand up and, you know, defend their institution beyond just disagreeing behind the closed doors. I think that what you want is public disagreement. And we got that out of Chris Here, Ray. this time. Right. And so I think that's what we need. But the last, there's only so many people that are going to be able to get appointments and get into the position of authority in this administration. Yeah. We need the good ones to be willing to stay even when they don't win every fight. Because they're not going to win any fight. No, no, wait, hold on a second. I'm not saying that you lose a fight, you leave. I'm saying that this is this case is unique because of just how much of it was about demeaning and delegitimizing the yeah. FBI as an institution. So what I, I, I think we agree in the abstract about what's at stake. Uh, we have a very different take on whether Chris Ray is is much the worst for wear. I think maybe he's actually better off. You think he's been? I think been I, so. I, no, no. I think Chris Ray is much more powerful in the building, right, right. than he was yesterday. Yeah, right, right. And so I think it's good. And I think the FBI is much weaker everywhere else. That's true, but I don't think changing the director would affect. That. All right. Well, that's a, that seems like a good place to stop. So indeed, um, we'll save everything else. I think for our regularly scheduled episode next Tuesday. Think anything will happen between now and then? Please no. I need to. Le- I need sleep. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, next week we will talk about uh, the government's Adobe appeal. Mattis, yep, the, and government's, the government's appeal. Yeah. Um, and I suspect we might have something else to talk about by then. Uh, yeah, when you, what's your prediction uh, over under on how long until the uh, the redacted version of the the shift, uh, the dissent, the minority report on the Nunes memo comes out? End of next week. Yeah, that thing. I, I tell you, there's, there's a real chance here that they're going to have so much egg. Not when I say they, I mean Nunes and the majority yeah, in the White once House. Once that comes out, th- that's going to come out, and it's going to poke so many holes in this thing. I suspect. And, and just to be clear, right? So, sure. so there's a you know, depending on just how invested Schiff is. I mean, Schiff could always. Um, pursue the nuclear option. Yeah, go on the floor. Which is go on the floor of the House and read it in the congressional record. Yeah. Now, he, I do think there's a real risk that, that, you know, so what everyone... By the way, speaking of giving up your your, your post in exa- protest. Yeah, well, yeah, he might... I don't think that would hurt him uh, in his re-election chances. Um, I actually don't know anything about his district, so maybe it would, but... Nah, um, he's fine. I, I think a lot of people, I think Mike Morell tweeted something about how, like, you know what we need to do is just, let's just release, put some redactions in, but let's reduce, release the actual FISA application, let people look. Um, it's very interesting. It's it's quite possible that there's some stuff in there that's really central yep. to why it was granted that you couldn't even really redact around. Yeah. There could be surveillance. There could have been um, there could have been human sources. But let's at least get the shift memo out there. Oh, absolutely. No, that. Uh, and and actually, I think there was even something in the White House statement that adverted to to. I know. Foreshadowing, yeah. like yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let this out too. I mean, they're not. You can see a little bit of the fingerprints of those like John Kelly who are looking at this thinking like, this is not where we right. want to be. We, right. We don't want, we, 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 you know, we're not going to stop Nunes, but right. we don't want to own it. They, they, exactly. The White House, I actually, 
to their limited credit. Limited. Limited credit is trying not to own this, but but still allowing it. So they're still culpable, but they're trying not to own it. And I think that means that when they do reject redactions on, on the shift counter memo, out. Um, it's going to get out there pretty so, quick. So I just want to say, the White House is not trying to own this. President Trump owns every single piece of this. Of course. Because, Nunes, no, no. because none of this would have happened yeah. if Nunes didn't think that this is what Trump wanted. No, it's all it's all part of the larger climate. Let, let me let me close by underscoring <laughs> that there's nothing that concerns me more than this larger, transparently self-interested effort by starts with Trump and extends to other people to try to protect themselves and insulate themselves from criticism in all forms of jeopardy, legal included. And to run rough out over institutions. By tearing apart yeah. the fabric of law enforcement yeah. and intelligence collection and all these institutions and doing their level best to delegitimize them the same as they try to do with the media, the courts, and anyone else who threatens to check them. And that's what's essentially un-American about the whole damn thing. I got nothing. All right, we're done. Uh, stay safe out there, everybody. Adios.